0: Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. We're talking about the beloved anarchist today. And the beloved anarchist, who is that? What is that all about? I read an article the last week or so that was talking about Christian anarchism. And I was absolutely surprised at the number of Christian anarchist movement people and groups there are out there. I remember years ago where someone said they were driving to Salem, Oregon, and there was a huge demonstration of anarchists, and I thought, well, that seems strange, anarchists demonstrating? How did you know they were anarchists? And they said, well, they all had the anarchist symbol. Well, at that point, I didn't even know that the anarchists had come to an agreement as to what their symbol is. I mean, I had no knowledge of this movement of anarchism. And I've heard lately more and more people saying, well, I'm an anarchist. And uh, and you think, what in the heck? Uh, anarchists aren't those people who throw bombs and, and, and destroy things and uh, try to tear down the system and want nothing but chaos? Well, you know... That's my ignorance. I did not understand what anarchism was. Now, it's been a long time now, and I've I've begun to realize what the word actually means, and uh, I have repented of my confusion concerning the word anarchism. Anarchism, of course, may bring, as a, a philosophy of government, may bring chaos, and it may bring disorder, but so does authoritarianism. It can bring chaos, and it can bring disorder, and it can bring injustice. Really, ultimately, all societies are dependent upon the spirit of righteousness within that given society, and that's that's a critical thing that we must realize. Today is the anniversary of Romulus and Remus, uh, which are not cartoon characters, but were actually the individuals who supposedly formed the Roman government many, many thousands of years ago. And uh, uh, they were two brothers, twin brothers, and it's somewhat a legend that they were nursed up by this wolf, she-wolf, and, and everything. But the actual history of Rome as a republic it didn't begin until around 500 B.C. And what was happening in Rome is there were Tarquinian kings, centralized authorities, rulers, who were exercising authority and oppressing the people. And they had gotten so much power that the oppression had become beyond bearability, and there was a revolution. Now, exactly what and how that revolution was put together, it's difficult to say from history, but the fact is the Tarquinian kings were driven out and they set up what was eventually called a republic and and the uh, term of that word republic was from a latin idiom liber res publica and liber res publica was uh, a Latin phrase that means free from things public. And that concept of a republic where the people, the citizenry, were free from things public was actually saying that the power of the state remained with the people. And so in the article that we have coming out on News View shortly, we talk about the beloved anarchist and we're talking about this concept of anarchy that is quite prevalent in a lot of people's thinking, but not well understood by many of them. And the word republic, is defined in Black's Dictionary, in two senses, and that's very important. We're going to look at that in a number of words today, that the idea that words can have meanings in two senses. So that when one person says this particular word, he may mean it in one sense, and and the person listening may think he means it in another sense. So we must always be qualifying the way in which we mean to use a word. So when we say republic, we're not talking about an indirect democracy, which is what most people think of. We're actually talking about a free republic, and so we add the adjective free republic. That's a republic that has not become the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic or the uh, People's Republic of China or any of those things that are actually communist governments. Nor are we talking about the democratic republics or imperial republics that have risen up in the last 200 years, where your government is actually a democracy in a republic and all the citizens have become members of that democracy and have pooled their labor into a system of core v statutory bondage where they have actually returned to Egypt yet they think they still live in a republic but they actually live in Egypt that exists within that republic in a republic you're free from things public so therefore in order to bind yourself you must create contracts or a contractual relationship you must create some sort of a relationship that brings you under an authority. And you can do this by election, by application, or just by participation. And anyway, let's go back to that word republic and look at that definition and look at the two senses that that word is defined in. And in one sense, it's that form of government in which the administration of affairs is open to all of the citizens. Well, in a democracy, the administration of affairs is open to all the citizens because they can vote. The same is true as of an indirect democracy where you can elect men to become your lawmakers and they can go out and pass acts that seem to take away your rights. But they have the right to make the law because you gave them that right by your application, participation, and contracts, whether they are constructive contracts or executed contracts they are still contracts and equity will assume the contract is real based upon your actions based upon the things that you do and the agreements that you have made and the applications that you have made and the participation you have done people are worried about socialized medicine they've had socialized education for 150 years or more They have threatened to take away their neighbor's house if their neighbor does not pay for their child's education. They do it through the property tax system. And they do that willingly because they have decided that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. So in one sense, a republic is simply the opening of the affairs of government to all the citizens, but there's another sense. And it says that in the definition, in another sense. In other words, we're going to give you another definition of the word republic. It signifies the state independently of its government. But now when you say state, everybody thinks the government. It's the government. The state is the government, and the government is the state. We go down to the state capital, where the government operates out of. But in a republic, in one sense of the word, the state is separate from the government. So what is the government? Well, there's several senses to that word, too. But a government is basically the bureaucracy that provides the services of what we call government, or even of what we call the state. So the bureaucracy that provides these services, we call government. But in this sense of the word republic, the state is independent of the government. Another place that defines a republic as a place where the leaders are titular, and they call them leaders, and they're titular, and titular means in name only. In other words, they haven't got the power of the state they have the power to lead they have the power to serve but they don't have the power to rule because the state remains with the people and the people are the state so it's not just that the administration of government is open to all the people, the people are the government but they may elect to give certain responsibilities to some men this is what early Israel was doing was the government of early Israel. There was no king. Now, yes, Moses was there for a while setting it up, and there was these things we called judges, but we don't necessarily know exactly in most people's minds how that worked, but it's really very simple. Government was in the hands of the people, and they had these this group they called Levites because most of the people that joined this group were from the tribe of the, the Levites. And they provided government services. They took care of the widows and needy and orphans of society where the family broke down and could not do this job themselves. Or where, you know, there were injuries or disease or floods or famines or whatever that were so great that they needed to help each other out. And they did it through this system of ministers they called Levites that serve the tabernacles of the congregation. That's the word they use. We see it tabernacle of the congregation. But the tabernacles of the congregation were the tents of the congregation. And the way, when you say the word tabernacle of the congregation, that's actually what they were doing. There is a need in society for somebody to help out the truly needy of society. And this is what the Levites were doing all over the country. They weren't all following the the tabernacle around. It wasn't a centralized uh, place. It didn't have this huge vault. It It was a system of social welfare. And we explain all this in the book Thy Kingdom Come. Take you back to the original Hebrew, show you the meaning of the words, and how you can determine for yourself what was really going on with all these altars of clay and altars of stone. That it was actually a system of social welfare based on faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. And that your gathering of stones was a gathering of men who provided these services through that faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. So you would remain at liberty as children of God, not children of Rome or children of the Pharaoh or children of Nimrod. You would have no father but your father in heaven, and yet you could function as a government with the power of the state in the hands of every family. And their possessions were theirs. You could not force them to contribute to the welfare of society. They had to learn to do it. You need to contribute to the welfare of society. There is no question about that. But if you do not do it by individual choice, you do not live in a free nation. If you do it because a group of men and women can force you to contribute to the welfare of everybody else, you are not free. And the Romans realized this, and they created a republic. And for hundreds of years, they took care of the needy of their society through faith, open charity. Believe it or not, that's what they were doing. That's what their temples were for. And there was a left-hand side of the temples and a right-hand side of the temples. In other words, they had different temples for these purposes. And, w- and we have a book coming out and we have some articles that already talk about it that these temples were just government buildings. But originally the government was in the hands of the people and the state was separate from the government because the state was still remaining with the people. They were free. They were all males. They were not subject to the administration of government. But that changed over that three, four, five hundred years of a republic, and eventually they became an indirect democracy, and then it became an imperial power. And corruption followed, and they took the silver out of the money, and and inflation followed, and the people were devastated. Decadence and corruption reigned. Chaos reigned under the order the Pax Romana of Rome. And millions died. But Christians thrived. Why? Because they went back to the precepts of early Rome, to that Libera Republica. And Christ says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, to the Pharisees. He says, It is my pleasure to appoint to the little flock a kingdom. And later on, he says, in Luke, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. But you are not to be like the princes, the rulers, the archons of the other nations who exercise authority. You are to be titular. That's what he's saying. You are to be titular in name only. Your power is granted to you by God, but you do not exercise authority one over the other. He is to be greatest among you, is to be servant to all. No centralized authority. That's anarchy. And we'll explain all that in the rest of the show so you, you see how this actually works, that Christ was an anarchist. Now, he wasn't trying to overthrow other governments because he doesn't have the right to exercise authority over those governments, but he gave them a choice. you can go the way of the Pharisees. you can go the way of Rome. And he can go the way of Christ. That's why it was called The Way. And, of course, what happens is that the ways of the world become jealous and envious if you succeed. And, of course, to succeed, you must strive. You must seek. You must endure. All these words are Christ's words. They're all biblical descriptions from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament. Nothing has changed. Repenting has to do around turning around, not sitting down. You have to turn around and go the other way. You have to strive in the other direction. You have to endure to the end. So what does that look like? What does that striving look like? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, you have to free your neighbor from... Your desire for benefits at his expense. You have to stop coveting your neighbor's goods. If you want eternal life, Christ made it clear. Keep the commandments, which includes not coveting your neighbor's goods. Paul made it clear that you have to believe to be saved. But believing, what does that look like? He says, Keep the commandments. He lists them off. Darn it, no adultery. Darn it! No stealing. Darn it! No coveting your neighbor's goods. You can't do those things and inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul says that. He isn't doing away with the law. He's doing away with the... That's the Greek word he's talking about there. The handwritten ordinances of men. He tells you that Moses was telling you of the righteousness. That's what his statutes were describing. You can try to keep the statutes, but if you don't have the law written in your heart, you will unmoor the precepts and righteousness of the law from them, do these regulations, but actually violate the law. You will commit adultery in your heart, but you won't actually have sex with that woman because of the definition of the word is. But you have committed adultery. You have fornicated. You have applied to the Nimrods and the Cains of the world for your benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Repent, turn around. Become an anarchist. Now, we don't want to use that word all the time. Become a Christian. But we will explain why we're using that word here. And it's to make you think, to make you reflect upon your own actions and what you are doing every day by policy. What you, While you are saying you believe and have accepted Christ, you are actually doing contrary To his commandments. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But you're not keeping them, so I can't assume anything but that you're not loving him. Because you're not keeping his commandments. You are coveting your neighbor's goods. So we're going to go back and take a look at this word anarchism and where it comes from, and what it really means. And is it an oxymoron, or is it the truth that there is a Christian anarchism? Now, I'm not advocating every Christian anarchist out there by any means, because there are many people calling themselves Christians who are not followers of Christ. And there are many people calling themselves Christian anarchists who actually want to exercise authority one over the other. There are many men out there condemning the Pharisees and actually are doing the acts of the Pharisees and living according to the ways of the Pharisees because they are unmooring the statutes and the symbols of faith from the faith itself. They are not being righteous. They are being self-righteous. And you will see this when they start making up rules that you have to do this, you know, I mean, that was the the ultimate of the Pharisees is that, you know, you had to put one shoe on before the other and then go back and, and tie the other shoe before you tie the second one. And, you know, there was problems with buckles and how you tie and they had rules and 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 you never had righteousness. Now you can have the the other extreme where somebody says, well, I'm just going to do what's on my own heart and that's the righteousness of God. Well, not necessarily. I mean, the book is there to go back and take a look and understand the precept upon precept. But those precepts have not changed with Christ. Those precepts are the same because God is the same. He didn't change. Christ was taking us back to the way we should have been to begin with. That's why he says you have to strive and you have to seek righteousness. That you have to forgive or you will not be forgiven. Neither will my Father forgive you. But somehow or other people think, oh, Christ died for my sins and they are all forgiven. And I am so pleased that I know that. But I don't have any time to forgive anybody else. Well, then you're not forgiven. You have no access to Christ's forgiveness. The forgiveness he earned for you. You can't get it. You can't receive it because you won't forgive. Because he said, if you don't forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. So you don't really believe Jesus. Because that's what he said. I had people telling me, oh, well, that was before the crucifixion. So everything he said before the crucifixion is not true anymore. He was deceiving us. Why did they even bother telling us what he said before if it doesn't count anymore? Come on now, think a little bit, folks. It doesn't make any sense. Christ was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Keep the commandments in your heart and in your mind. Same thing Paul was saying. Everything Paul was saying would get him burned at the stake by the Pharisees. He wasn't a Pharisee anymore. He was. He admitted it. He was a sinner. He was an evil man. He admitted it. Yet we talk about Paul being a deceiver. He wasn't a deceiver. He was telling you outright. I see more deception in the people that are opposing Paul than I see in Paul by by hands down. So anyway, I want to Go on and talk about this anarchism and we get into it a little bit more in depth and we'll add this show to a list eventually of shows that we have on anarchism and try to awaken some ideas so that you get a better picture of the kingdom. And we'll do all this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom and we'll have a few more announcements when we get back right after these words from our sponsor.
1: Fight the fight. We are here to equip you. Let our motto be Don't Tread on Me, Liberty Radio Live.com. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, the President of the United States in nineteen sixty-three.
3: The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people inherently and historically opposed to secret societies to secret oaths and to secret proceedings. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Confidence that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the president today. You were both in skull and Bones, the secret
1: society. It's so sacred we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? It's so sacred we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? I've got a vision for what I want to do for the country. See, I know exactly where I want to lead. It's so sacred we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? If you read the history books, the
3: most often asked question to Southerners was this, why did you fight? And the most often given answer is, because you're here. In other words, the South did not invade the North, the North invaded the South.
2: Was it the Civil War or war of federal Federal aggression aggression. john weaver sets the record straight in this dvd series on the civil war from the old past christian history conference was there a war to set the slaves free or was it a war to enslave us all get this dvd and judge for yourself war War of federal Federal aggression aggression. the truth seems strange only because we've been indoctrinated with a fiction war War of federal Federal aggression. aggression get it today
1: Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773.
0: 559-781-3773. Well, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom uh we're talking about anarchism and we want to give you a few announcements there's a meeting in missouri out at uh, lake of the oaks i think it is and uh, it's already started and so you're missing it if you're anywhere in that vicinity and you can drive there that they'll be there uh today and tomorrow and so it might be a great opportunity to meet some other kingdom seekers uh, there will also be a meeting tomorrow uh, by phone. If you are a member of the Living Network, you can probably find out the information from the people there because I sent it out last night about 1 o'clock, uh, and it's been sent out by Nitan Parak. also, uh, that uh, it's a meeting of personal contact ministers who are a part of the network linking people up. It will be absolutely essential that we have a dedicated group of people that are connecting other people a network of people that are kingdom seekers so that they can come together and walk in the ways of the Lord you have to connect it is what the early church was doing that's why they had a Pentecost and they connected and they needed to connect because they could no longer get benefits from the government temple of the Pharisees because they professed Christ when you professed Christ you were opting out of the social welfare system of that day in Judea and then when Paul took Christianity to other nations all over the Roman Empire uh, he was allowing them to do the same because they had been recognized by Rome as the rightful king and kingdom of God Jesus was the king of Judea, the rightful king he did not force the Pharisees to follow his way. They had a choice. Uh, the apostles were the ministers of his government. And you have to realize that the government of Judea was already divided into three parts. And one part followed Christ. And the other parts didn't. But you could live in any part. And if you were a part of Christ's government, you paid your taxes to the apostles. And they were already given instructions that they couldn't exercise authority one over the other. They were already given parables that the good servant says, well, how much do you owe? Well, I owe this much in taxes. And so, therefore, you pay your taxes to the ministers that you choose. You look out amongst yourselves and pick men you choose. You see Christ, uh, or the apostles, doing this right away. And, of course, that's right in line with what Christ was saying in his parable. And those ministers say, okay, how much do you owe? And you say, I owe this much. Well, how much can you pay? I can only pay this much. Okay, paid in full. Just pay that much. Whatever you say. That's the perfect law of liberty. That taxes are voluntary. Could that be possible? Well, not amongst anybody but the righteous, but amongst the righteous it works fine. You know, the the old saying that, uh, you know, socialism only works in heaven with the saints who don't need it. (laughs) They don't need socialism because they're saints. They're righteous. They're going to take care of the truly needy and they're going to take care of them in a way that strengthens the poor. By the very nature of righteousness, that's what you will do. You will not weaken people and make them dependent. You will make them independent. Teach a man to fish. Don't just give him one. And so, anyway, that's what the early church was doing. That's what we should be doing. In order to do that, we need to have a network of men, and we're going to have a call tomorrow around 2 o'clock Pacific time, I think it is, scheduled for. And uh, some people who want to be contact ministers should be on that call. And some of the contact ministers, if they can make it, a lot of them are at the meeting in Missouri. But those that it can make it should make that call, and we'll talk about some of the things we can do. Uh, we're also thinning out our contact ministers to make sure that some of the ones that are listed on the website uh, who are not doing a good job, who are not fulfilling the agreement of being the contact ministers, will be removed. And that's our prerogative. We're not exercising authority over them. Uh, The website is not the kingdom of God. It's just one service that we are providing at our expense. And so, therefore, we, you know, reign the the chariot that we're driving. And, you know, we take on the passengers who are willing to be a part. You know, we, we equate a lot of this to fish or cut bait. We're fishermen. We're out there fishing for Christ and we're forming a living network. And we will bring people into that network and share with them. Gardening season is coming up. We have seeds here that we can share with you. We grew a lot of sweetmeat squash seeds last year, and we'll make them available to those who want to be in the seed exchange program because we think seeds are very important. We think your seeds are important, our seeds are important, and the exchange of them is important. Uh, One of the great shortages that you will see as Society decays and crumbles is the shortage of seeds. We're already seeing that and experiencing that. So since we are the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, we should provide for what the people need. And we do that by the diligent people working together to do it. And so that's one of our our uh, uh, little programs that we uh got on our living network. And some, we've sent out seeds already to a number of people that requested them. But, of course, that was one of, you know, it always asking and you shall receive. Well, some people are just sitting there waiting for them to receive. We well, you don't get it. <laughs> you have to ask. And, you know, when you ask, we may say, who are you? Are you one of us? You know, like the Samaritan woman who Jesus knew was not one of them. But deep down in his heart he knew, but he wanted to get the the words out. Or she admitted that she hadn't been and she wanted to be. But we see Jesus is actually talking about the Good Samaritan going to the Samaritan woman, going out of his way to talk to her, to bring the message of the kingdom. So it doesn't really matter who you are. If you will receive the message of the kingdom, you become our brothers. What makes you our brother is the fact that we have a common father. What makes it the truth that we have a common father is whose will are you doing? Are you doing your own will? Now, there's a lot of people who say they're coming in the name of Christ, in the name of the Father, but when you look at their actions, they don't match up with what Christ came to do. That's how we know Paul is not an apostate. It's because what he was doing fit exactly with what Christ was doing. It didn't fit what the Pharisees said we should do. And so a lot of parasitical types are now wanting to throw Paul out. And they want us to all go back to the Old Testament from the point of view of the Pharisees. Now, I have no problem with going back to the Old Testament. But you have to go back to what the Old Testament was really talking about. The altars of clay and stone. Where you're the clay... And the stone as your living ministers. That you're not going to regulate or hew with your rules, but are going to operate in a spiritual realm of righteousness, which will translate into a physical realm of lawfulness. And we point out in the book Covenants of the Gods there's a difference between law versus legal. The word jus juris is translated law from the Latin. Sometimes the word lex legis, which actually means legal, is also translated law. It's not totally incorrect, but it can be confusing when you're using the same word to denote two different ideas. And that's what happens in the book when we see the word nemos, or nomos, which comes from the word nemo is that it can mean law in the sense of righteousness, the law of God, but most often it means the law delegated by men. Now, if the law delegated by men is in accordance with righteousness, well, fine. But if it's not, it's just a part of a legal system. And it was those handwritten ordinances that were done away with. Those unrighteous rules Now, you can't just do away with them on your own. You have to have a savior. You have to have a chain of command and authority. Because once you go under authority, you cannot free yourself simply by saying, I'm going to throw off this. The early Americans didn't just throw off the tyranny. They could define the rules of the king as tyranny because he was usurping because of what they had done for the two hundred years previous they had earned their freedom americans today have not earned even the education that they enjoyed in public school they extracted the funds for that from their neighbor so what's the solution the solution is anarchism (laughs) but we have to define that anarchism and that's what we're going to do today is define what that anarchism is. And we now have less than an hour and a half to do that. In. <laughs> but, you know, beating around the bush gives us uh, knowledge of the terrain. So is anarch- Christian anarchism an oxymoron? Not really, not necessarily. It could be depending on which definition you use. And there are at least two senses of the word. Anarchism is a political philosophy which considers the state undesirable, unnecessary, and harmful, and instead promotes a stateless society. That is not really true. But it could be true, depending on what you're talking about. We're using the word state there in a particular sense. They're using state as synonymous with government that has the power of the state government being the bureaucracy, the the administration of the state. And they're putting those things all over here, state, capital S-T-A-T-E, you know, where it's this body that holds the state that also governs, right and left hand of government, embodied in this corporate state, but that's not always how it is meant. Another concept that they include with anarchy and defining it, they say that it means literally a lack of leaders. And we've shown that there was a huge number of leaders amongst all anarchist movements. So they didn't lack leaders. And it's a misnomer to say that they lack, lack leaders. They did not lack leaders. They lacked rulers because that's what the word anarchy means. It means without rulers, because the word archi, or archon, comes from the Greek word that appears in the Bible quite a few times, you know, 30, 40 times, and it's translated 22 times as ruler, 11 times as prince, it's also translated as chief or chief magistrate or chief ruler. And it means a ruler, someone who exercises authority one over the other. It doesn't, a ruler may be a leader, but all leaders are not rulers. There is another Greek word, hadegis, which is translated leader, also translated guide in the same Bible. And we're not talking anahadegis. We're talking anarchia. Without rulers, not without leaders. So can you have a government with leaders who aren't rulers? Well, of course, this is what we were talking about with the concept of a republic. A republic, in one sense, signifies the state independent of its government, where its leaders are titular in name only. Because the power of the state remains with the people, so an anarchy is not really a stateless society uh, a stateless society would mean that would be total chaos I mean it would be not even with it would be without people. The power of the state originates with the people, and they can vest it in others and give them an exercising authority. We see that in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8 where the voice of the people cried out to put the power of the state in the hands of one individual to fight their battles for them. And they called that individual in the translation a king, but he doesn't have to be a king. He can be a president, a prime minister, or whatever. If he has an exercising authority, an executive authority to rule over the people, can even be instrumental in forcing the people to contribute to his welfare. Something Saul did and was called foolish for doing it, and was told that his kingdom would not stand because he violated the law by forcing the people to contribute to his government administration. That was absolutely against the precepts of God. It's not against the precepts of Cain. It's not against the precepts of Nimrod. It's not against the precepts of Caesar or the wicked Pharaoh. But God does not want you to be in that position. Now, if you put yourself in that position, he will hold you to it. He will say, okay, remain friends with the unrighteous mammon, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That doesn't mean overthrowing the government. That means overthrowing your desire to rule over your brother. How do you do that? Stop going to public school. Start homeschooling. Stop forcing your neighbor to pay for your child's education at the point of a gun. Start paying for it yourself. Now, that may be hard for some of you, but if you congregate together and work together, you can do this, and you'll get a much better result. I I met a fellow from the northern part of the next valley over uh, a couple days ago, and he was talking to me about a videotape that he got from a local pastor up in Fort Rock. or Actually, the pastor was from Silver Lake, another town not too far away, 22 miles away. Tiny little town, a couple hundred people. So he got this video from him. It really, he said it was fantastic. And I said, well, yeah, that's our video. We gave it to him. <laughs> and he's been circulating it around. It has our name on it. And it was the indoctrination video. And we hope to have somebody from those pe- uh, that group on as a guest on the show in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. And uh, it's talking about this public school concept bad idea, not Christian. Not the way of Christ. It's anti-Christ. Public schools are anti-Christ by their nature. Even disregarding what they teach there. By their nature. They are based on the idea of coveting your neighbor good and forcing your neighbor to pay for your child's education at the point of a gun. Because if somebody doesn't want to contribute to the public school and they stop, somebody will come and take their property away from them. That's not Christ-like. That's only benefits provided by men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, and Christ said it was not to be that way with you. So by policy, most Christians, especially those who send their kids to public school, are violating the words of Christ. Don't you love him? Why aren't you keeping his commandments? It's very simple. I know it's so foreign to most people that go like, oh, I can't believe that's true. No, we're still Christians. We're supposed to force our neighbor to contribute to our free education. No, we're not. <laughs> and you hear it from me because I'm not the ear tickler you've been paying every Sunday. <laughs> I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm going to rebuke you because as many as I love, I rebuke. That's what the New Testament says after the crucifixion. You you need to stop this. You need to stop it now. And if you need help doing it, gather together with others that are doing it. And become a force of Christianity, which is righteousness. And God will fight your battles for you. But you have, as a prodigal son, you need to turn around. A prodigal daughter, you need to turn around and start heading back to the ways of Christ. So we can see very clearly that anarchy is the absence of men who exercise authority one over the other, rulers, not the absence of leaders. It is not a stateless society, it is a society where this power of the state is in the hands of every free individual within that society, who have abandoned the coercive bureaucracy of a corporate state and have begun to see the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It has leaders, but they are titular. Now, they will exercise authority over that which you give them, the things that you freely donate. They will exercise authority over that, but they will not exercise authority over you. In order for that society to work, you must become responsible. You must take back your responsibility of governing yourself in the ways of Christ. If you don't, you are rejecting God. If you do, then you will find out what Liber Res Publica really means and you will become that free soul under God. In this system of a pure republic, you retain your rights because you retain your responsibility. You are the government because you govern yourself based on faith, hope and charity. For almost 400 years, Israel operated with no central authority. It took care of the needy of its society by supporting the Levites' ministers they chose according to his service. How did that work? Ten families picked a minister. And that minister was responsible not only for the welfare of his congregation, which was not his, because he didn't own it he served it he was owned by God and he served that congregation with what that congregation gave him to serve with and he could eat from that because he a laborer is worthy of his hire but he was not just serving his local congregation because he was a minister of a kingdom and this is what many ministers today, they love to have their congregation and take care of their congregation, but they have no sense of kingdom. They're just congregationalists. When they have a sense of kingdom, when they go somewhere to another town or another city or whatever errand they're on, they will try to meet up with other congregations and meet with them face-to-face at every opportunity. They will be singers of the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb wherever they go. And you will not have to tell them to do this. You will just see them doing it. And when they have their festivals, like we're going to have a festival in the latter part of September, the Burning Bush Festival, you can find out about it on the web. The strangers are invited to this. I was amazed that one of the contact ministers or ministers of record that we have said, oh, no, we don't want to have the strangers there. This is just for us. What is this exclusionary spirit? And the fact is, is you can just look up the Feast at Fall Festivals. You were to invite the strangers. It says that right in the instructions. But if God's instructions were being written on your heart, you should have known that without reading it in the book. You go back to the book and you check and you say, oh, well, it does say strangers. Oh, my goodness. I was wrong. I didn't ever hear that he was wrong. He just wanted us to exclude the strangers. And to me, that's... That's evidence that Christ is not in him. Now, he says it is, but I'm not seeing it, and I must say I'm not seeing it. I could be wrong, but I have to go by what I am seeing, uh, what I can bear witness to. What I bear witness to is that somebody is missing the boat here. Recently, he made a quote. And he quoted that if anybody were to, you know, look at his writings as if they are superior to the Bible or whatever, I can't remember exactly how he put it, but he used the analogy, he would rent his clothes. Well, the last guy to do that, condemned Christ. (laughs) That was Joseph Caiaphas. Funny analogy. Strange analogy. Amazing. You know, you don't see anybody else doing that except for Joseph Caiaphas, who had Christ nailed to the cross. I'll tell you an interesting story about Joseph Caiaphas when we return to the second half of Keys of the Kingdom. And I'll hold you in suspense until then. It's very interesting. Whatever happened to that? We'll find out when we return.
4: you can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Now
3: listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar.
2: Yeah. Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you?
1: Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now
3: listen to me.
4: I pledge to Egypt, to the King of Kings, and to his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. One holy nation, and our Heavenly Father, great mercy, justice for all. Well,
0: welcome back, to Kings of the Kingdom. I remember we were having a fall festival out here in September. It's out here in Oregon. We've got about 1,000 acres to camp on. We've got fresh, clean mountain water running through the property. It's artesian water that comes up from the ground. We don't have a river coming out of the mountains, although we do have another spring out here with a fairly long, mile-long lake. You can go fishing and boating on, uh They actually allow skiing on there. I I heard the other day that there used to be a sign up that you couldn't use any more than a trolling motor, but somebody evidently took the sign down because people ski on it all the time. It's a mile long. It's quite capable of handling that. (laughs) Very deep lake. uh, All uh, artesian flow springs that just come out of the side of the rock and flow into that and then down to Anna River and out into Summer Lake, which looks like the Dead Sea. We've had people actually take pictures out here and then take pictures at the Dead Sea in uh, Israel. And they hold the two pictures up, and you can't tell which one is which. <laughs> they, they look uh, absolutely identical. I mean, even the backdrop and the mountains in the background and everything. And I, uh, I guess somebody with a trained eye can tell the difference, but uh, it's very easy to lose track of which one you're looking at. <laughs> but. Uh, Uh, I guess Anna Lake would be the Jordan River uh, in that case because it's all spring fed. But anyway, um, uh, we hope to make that bigger and bigger and the more people that start working on it now, the bigger and bigger it can be. We've got the room. uh, We have some resources. uh, We've got a lot of work to do to make it a big event. And it's going to take everybody's help. And we're looking for some entertainment. If you have musical abilities or what have you, we also will allow people to put on uh, little seminars and you can teach skills and share information. Uh, you can set up booths, uh food, etc. Uh We don't want to turn it into a big commercial operation, but you can do uh, trade uh or whatever you want to do. It's about sharing, about caring about one another, and about getting to know each other and then taking those relationships back so that you're not just a congregation, but you're thinking kingdom. And, uh, we hope to make it pretty interesting, but it's going to take more than just me working on it. It'll take all of you. So if you're interested at all, if you think you can bring more people to the, uh, place, uh, out here in the high deserts, uh, end of september is when it's going to take place but the work has already begun so anyway we were talking about joseph caiaphas he was the high priest at the time of jesus christ uh he was actually pretty much a puppet to some degree although he had a certain uh powerful influence he was picked for the job by a fellow by the name of ananias who was probably the real string puller in those days and uh He was headed this trial to deal with this guy, Jesus, who was suggesting that socialism was not a good thing and that we should actually be living by loving our neighbor as ourselves and not forcing our neighbor to contribute to our welfare. Where do I get all that? Well, the Corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect, and the Corbin of the Pharisees was a social security system based on membership and compelled offerings. Once you joined up under that, which was a statutorily created system, Originally, uh, the the foundation was laid in 78 B.C. by statutes, but later on under Herod, uh, through the system of baptism and enrollment, uh, you became a member of a social welfare system operated both through the temple in Judea as well as the temple of Roma, also built by Herod, And it provided social welfare benefits if you became blind or indigent or whatever. And it collected a certain amount of money. There was actually riots at that time because they diverted some of that Social Security money to a government water project to bring fresh water into Jerusalem. They built an aqueduct, and we actually have pictures of some of that aqueduct still in existence. All this is a matter of history. All your preachers should know it in detail, so that they can preach the gospel of the kingdom and what was really going on at that time and what these things were referring to and why uh and how and wherefore, etc. things were working, but they don't. So you've actually all returned to the bondage of Egypt. You've all abandoned the gospel of the kingdom. You have a form of righteousness, but you deny the power thereof and you need to repent and return. So anyway, what was we what was this about? Joseph Caiaphas. He's the one who stood up and rented his clothes and uh very dogmatic kind of approach, a uh, Pharisaical approach to to things, you know, rent my clothes, you know, to show my disapproval. And uh, the reality is whatever happened to this guy who condemns Christ Now, we know Peter denied Christ, and Jesus was knowing he was going to do that, foretold he was going to do that, and was telling Peter that I'm already praying for you (laughs) after you do that, that you will repent and come back. We know Paul supposedly repented. Of course, some people want to throw Paul out of the Bible now, but that right there with get you behind me, Satan, and I'm praying for you is is exactly the character of God and the character of Christ and should be our character and so Paul was forgiven was Caiaphas forgiven well, they recently unearthed a uh, bone box uh, in Judea what is now Israel and on it is a subscription of a name a superscription, they call it sometimes, of a name of Joseph Caiaphas. And there's actually a couple of boxes from the Caiaphas family. And they believe that one of them contains the bones of Caiaphas. And there are strange symbols on the one box that are uniquely Christian symbols. Why are they on this box if this was Josephus Caiaphas, the high priest who condemned Christ? Did he become a convert? Well, of course, ancient tradition tells us that he did become a convert to Christianity and repented and fell out of favor with Ananias. And there was another Ananias who was high priest at the fall of Jerusalem. There were several. Ananias are a very popular name. There were a lot of them around. And this Josephus or Joseph Caiaphas, the most peculiar thing that I found about this box and looking at the uh, the different symbols carved in it and everything that do appear to be strangely Christian in what should be an Orthodox Jewish tomb is that there were nails that would normally be used for crucifixion in the coffin. Now It could be that if Caiaphas betrayed Ananias that he himself was counted a traitor and then traitors get crucified, so he may have even been crucified, and those were the nails of his own crucifixion that they found when they took down the body and, you know, they bury it and then they gather the bones and put them in these boxes. But they may not have been his nails. They may have been the nails that hung Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? But anyway, they were found there in that tomb. And it's very interesting. Uh, But in a great deal of the Apocrypha that are written about the time and the times that followed, there is evidence that Caiaphas repented and became a Christian. There's clear evidence that Pontius Pilate became a Christian. But what does it mean to become a Christian? You actually were entering into a realm of a different kind of Corbin. To be a Christian, you would become a part of this network that provided your social welfare needs by way of free will offerings, not forcing your neighbor like Cain and Lamech and Nimrod to comply and, and provide the necessary uh, funds for social welfare of society. It is absolutely essential to maintain a free society by free will offerings. If you don't do that, you will eventually be governed by tyrants because you have let the spirit of tyranny into your midst. This is why socialism is such a bad thing. This is why it leads to communism and totalitarianism. It always will. It can never do anything but that. So anyway, what we are... uh, Looking at is this idea of anarchism, which is absent of these rulers who can exercise authority one over the other. It is not absent of leaders. You have lots of leaders who will take care of you and provide for you with the resources that you provide for them. We had a, an event uh quite a few months ago where somebody wanted to help out somebody who couldn't pay their rent on the network. And in questioning, we found out this was somebody who had been a part of the network, had been to one of our talks uh, months and months and months before, and uh, had had more and more trouble with employment, and was down to working two days a week and couldn't pay their rent. They, In questioning, which I I find it amazing, some ministers didn't want to question at all, just give them the rent money. Don't, don't, don't question all. We're not talking about a guy bleeding in the ditch. We're talking about a guy, for a long time, has been arranging this situation where he couldn't pay his rent. He had been arranging it, and he admits out of his own mouth when just asked, "What, what have you been up to? You only working two days a week. What do you do with the other you know, five days? Well, he's been looking for a job, but only office work because that's what makes him happy. Can we afford to do that, only look for work that makes us happy, but then request our neighbors to pay our rent for us? Does that make you happy? Talking to the fellow who had watched the video, uh, Indoctrination, he's expecting their first child. And, uh, you know, he has a good job, and he gets paid pretty good, you know, decent for out here in this country and he's been saving up to pay for their child. And I believe he even has some insurance with his employer. I don't don't know exactly the details, but he was pointing out that the government wanted him to get all these other, you know, the government, uh, what they call Oregon Trails Card, I think it is. It's kind of a welfare card. Uh, It's how you get your food stamps. They wanted him to get that, too, and to get Become a member of WIC and get all these free government benefits that aren't really free. It just costs your neighbor to provide for them. And he says, I I didn't want to do that. I mean, a guy has to have a little self-respect. You know, I can, I can take care of this. I, I've got a job. I got a few other things where I make money on the side. I don't, I don't need this. So I I wouldn't have anything to do with it. It was just in him. He just couldn't understand it. But they were. he says that it's like they force it on you. Because it's in their nature to force. These are the Pharisees that want you to be a part of the Corbin that makes the word of God to none effect. Where the sacrifices of the people are forced. Which Samuel says is foolish and kingdoms like that will not stand. It's so simple. The precepts are there over and over and over and over and over again. Christ even said that the minister, the good minister, is the one who does not force the contributions of the people, even when he has the authority to do so. When Paul went to Corinth, that's what he was doing, trying to convince the treasurer of Corinth to operate according to the perfect law of liberty and to collect what is owed by faith, open charity a kinder, more benevolent IRS. (laughs) The early Christian ministers were the IRS of that government. But they didn't carry guns to force you to contribute. They didn't threaten you with jail. Now, that doesn't work amongst selfish people. It only works amongst those seeking righteousness who are willing and anxious to sacrifice in the Eucharist of Christ the thanksgiving of Christ that's what Eucharist means thanksgiving now imagine if you will 144,000 people who have that spirit written in their hearts and their minds and 144 million people who see the wisdom and the majesty of such a system Moving in that direction until their whole hearts, minds, and souls seek that way above all others. Willing to change their lifestyle, some sacrifice, some so that they may have a life more abundant. And they would. Anarchy, Christian anarchy, is not chaos. True Christian anarchy for those. There are, like I said, there are people who say they are Christian anarchists but are not following Christ. But if you were really following what Christ said, really preaching the gospel of the kingdom at hand, being the righteous with a being attitude, walking in faith, keeping the law in your heart and in your mind, like Paul says, Not unmooring it from the righteousness in order to hold up the symbol. Not worshipping and keeping days. Not worshipping and keeping practices and rituals. But actually being that kingdom. Imagine that society. A million people in that society, not living in communes but in communities, not taking from their neighbor except what their neighbor chooses to give, through a network of ministers who come to serve, not be served, come to help lead you into a congregation of righteousness rather than make you their congregation. Now, I'm hinting at a lot of things here, but you have to reach out and grasp this concept of the kingdom and then act accordingly. But you will not be able to just put that on. The obstacles will be too great. But as you seek that, you will run into obstacles, and others will run into the same obstacles. And when you tell your war stories... Around the campfires at fall festivals <laughs> and spring festivals and the Pentecost of today. You will say, hey, I know what you mean, brother. Because you will identify. But you still have to see the working of that Holy Spirit in Him. Now there are, out there, there are men who are not of the Holy Spirit. And it's not always black and white. You know, they, they see some of the truths, but not all of the truths. They don't persevere into every element of the kingdom. They see, oh, I see this part of the kingdom I can accept, but this part I don't want to You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to accept the stranger. I want to rule over my brother a little bit because he's just not doing it right unless he does it what I see is right. I'm not going to rule over you. But I'm not gonna carry you in the wrong direction. We have a rule on the uh, on our personal contact ministers group that this is a work only group. The work is described in detail enough that everybody knows what they need to do. It's not that complicated. There's a little bit of record keeping in other words, you have to keep track of you know maybe ten people and then be connected with ten other people who are, like you, doing the same thing. And then you form this living network. Where even if you lose contact with this guy, you've got contact with that guy, and so that guy's got contact with this guy. And so it's like a net. All the little elements of a net tied together. But the knots are are faith in the ways of God, trust in one another, which is built by practice. And you form this network that where one net is strained, one part of the net is strained, all of them take up the slack a little bit. If you see how that works in your mind's eye, turn it into a living network where we're all holding hands together. You remember the old game where they uh, would all link hands and somebody would run from the other side and try to break through? we had all link hands and, and of course even if you weren't real strong and you were lightweight, they would push against you but everybody absorbed some of the shock and you held your hands together. It's not an individual journey, it's an individual journey together. Do not forsake the gathering together. And this is why there are many leaders and there are many participants in a true kingdom of God scenario. And yes, it's an anarchy in the sense that there is no centralized authority. There's authority. You have authority over your stuff. I have authority over my stuff. And if you give me some of your stuff to do a particular job with, I have authority over your stuff that you gave me. But over the stuff you did not give me, I had no authority of. That requires a certain amount of record keeping, because you may come back and say, what did you do with this stuff I gave you? Well, I did this, this, and this. Okay, well, I'll give you some more, because I think you did a good job, or I think you did a lousy job. I'm not giving you any more. You tie to them according to their service. That's Old Testament. That's the perfect law of liberty. They don't do the job, you don't give them any more. You find somebody else who will do the job. It's not exercising authority, that's exercising responsibility. Very simple stuff. Very simple stuff. And uh we'll uh we'll be looking at uh Paul probably next week. I don't know. We may have uh we didn't have any way of scheduling callers because uh, our co host Paul is at the retreat. And uh, I was just looking for little notes that people are sending me as I'm trying to uh, uh, do the radio show. And we'll see how things go um, for next week and get uh, more guests on the show. So if you have guests that you want on the show that we will interview and we will share information with, uh, let us know. Let us know through the network. Uh, Help set it up. Don't just say, oh, yeah, go do this, go do that help us set it up. If you know somebody that you think would be a good guest on the show, has something to contribute, or even if you've got somebody who wants to debate, you know, I'd love to tear apart some of the goofy theologies that are floating around out there (laughs) with actual information about the kingdom of God. So give us a chance to do that, and we'll have those guests on. We'll try to be nice about it, but... uh, You know, there's no reason to accept the falsehoods that are being spread around in the world today and uh, because it's misleading people. It's all about the deception. to get lots of little information that is just simply not true. So anyway, how do people go into bondage? Well, of course, they stop uh, working together as a people. They stop exercising their responsibilities as the government of God. And this leads them to a vulnerable place where they end up having to apply for benefits amongst men who exercise authority. And uh, one of the ways they do that is what we see in Proverbs, uh, where Proverbs 1.10, I think it is, where they talk about sinners entice thee, consent not, because of the fact that they are uh, enticing you to have, let's let's all have one purse, which is what socialism is all about, and then some power of the state is vested in somebody to take your purse, you know, the portion of your purse for their purposes. And whether it's a democratic vote, doesn't really matter. Democracies are all doomed because they breed selfishness. They encourage selfishness. They give power to selfishness. You know, capitalism, you know, they talk about capitalism... Uh, or communism not working because nobody's ever really tried it? Well, we haven't had capitalism in this country for a hundred years. We've had a system of debtism because we're not using capital, we're using debt as money. And that's a that's a serious problem. So if we're to go back to the kingdom the way it was meant to be, we need to turn around and go another way. Our modern reliance on government to make laws and establish order is not the historical norm. Most governments were voluntary systems, and they worked very successfully. But it, even America, what made America great was not the Constitution. We have the Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, as I explain that in great detail. We've had a number of people talking about being beneficiaries of the Constitution. You do not want to be a beneficiary of the Constitution. The people were not a party to the Constitution. They weren't. We, the people, has to do with the people who signed it and signed on to it. It was never put to a popular vote. And had it been, it would have been voted down by the majority of the people. It was an agreement between the states. But the people of the United States are those people who became employees of the United States, the workers of the United States, and they wanted a guarantee. And your labor is not yours. A portion of it belongs to the state. A portion of your right as the state belongs to the state. You've gone back to the bondage of Egypt. So many layers to this trap. But it really all began with the social contract. And we're going to read to you a definition of the social contract, which is in several of the books that we have, an article, and explain to you exactly how it works, that moves you from a place of anarchism to a place of archism, a place where there are no one who can exercise authority over you. Now, that doesn't mean that you are not subject to law. If you violate somebody else's property rights, you can be arrested. You can be punished, and it's the job of every man. You know, as I was saying, police force as we see it today, the policy forcers today, I mean a lot of them are pretty good guys. And they actually become policemen because they they want to protect the innocent. They want to do the right thing. But there's an element of power there that often corrupts them. But the fact is, these are all socialist police departments. They are supported by taxes that are forced from their neighbor. How did they enforce laws in societies that did not do that? It was done. And we give you examples in the book, Thy Kingdom Come fire departments. We have a volunteer fire department out here. A, volu- a volunteer fire department is not exercising authority one over the other, but yet it sustains itself through voluntary contributions. Did you know that you could have a voluntary police department? We used to have one. Constable. He was not paid the salary. We used to have voluntary school systems where everybody contributed some money to pay for a teacher, and that teacher came in and tutored the kids, and the kids were in a one-room schoolhouse that was built by the people. We started a health clinic out here without any tax money. But eventually some people said, oh, we're going to have to force our neighbor to contribute to our welfare. We have to put it on the tax rolls. It became unchristian at that time because they were now dependent on men who called themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You've got to go back the other way now. You've got to start providing all those benefits to the true needy of your society, not the slothful, in faith, hope, and charity. And that's the job of the church. So let's do it. Join the network. Get on hisholychurch.org. Let's join the network. Let's make it happen. It's up to you. We'll be back with social contact when we return to the.
1: Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com.
2: The Greatest Prophecy DVD. Did you ever wonder about the virgin birth? Know somehow that it must be true, but never really understood what it was all about? Perhaps you have faith in Messiah, but cannot quite believe in a virgin birth. Why is it an integral part of faith in Messiah? And why would biblical faith in Messiah be worthless without it? These questions and many more can be discovered by seeing the Greatest Prophecy DVD. The first chapter for which the DVD was named is a precise explanation of these mysteries. After seeing chapter 1, you will no longer have any doubt as to why belief in the virgin birth is indispensable to faith in Messiah and why it is indeed the greatest prophecy of the entire Bible. We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It?, and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue, in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274 or see the shopping page at firstamendmentradio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD
3: Now listen to me. The Bible says render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar.
2: Government takeover of the church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have.
1: Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from com. Order online today or call 559-781-3773. Now
3: listen to
0: me. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, we're talking about anarchism. Which is nothing to do with chaos Unless you have chaos written in your heart and your mind It has to do with not being a Nimrod Not having a Nimrod ruling over you Not having a mighty provider instead of the Lord Who hunts your soul And wants your soul And obtains your soul Through the greatest destruction of liberty which is by giving gifts gratuities and benefits this is the way they get you is they seduce you into thinking that you can exercise authority over your neighbor and then obtain benefits for yourself so I was saying that uh... we were going to be talking about this idea of uh social contracts and we're going to read the definition of a social contract It's a common theme, and again, you know, some of these programs, they repeat some of the same things over and over again, but we try to do it in a different light, and if you uh, realize that because these ideas are so unique and so new to so many people, they have to look at it several different ways. It has to be brought back to their attention a number of times before it begins to stick. It just simply doesn't stick. The number of times that I have explained something to somebody, and then they thought they agreed with it, they could not find an argument against it, and then no more than two weeks later they're arguing against it again. You bring it up that they had no basis for what they were saying, you show them again they go, oh yeah, oh yeah, now I remember. And then a couple weeks later they're back to the old stuff again because it is hard to treat, teach old dogs new tricks, and we have all been dogs that have returned to the vomit and to the mire, and pigs to the mire. And we all need to learn a new trick, which is the trick of being of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, back to social contracts, which we've mentioned a number of times. But the definition social contract is an agreement or covenant by which men are said to have abandoned the state of nature to form a society in which they now live. That definition assumes that men at first lived in a state of anarchy where there was no society, no government, no organized coercion of the individual by the group by social contract men are are excuse me by social contract men had surrendered their natural liberties in order to enjoy the order and safety of the organized state well the order uh, you know and safety of the organized state isn't a reality because the organized state almost always descends into chaos. I mean, that's why you have bureaucracies where you cannot figure out the rules. Immigration people. Lawyers will tell you every day that you you can have everything right and they'll still rule against you because you don't know what they're going to do. You would think they've got all these rules, you should be able to just plug it in, this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule, get this result doesn't happen. It is one of the most organized archies there are. And it used to be that people entered this country because they had a contract with a free individual citizen. And when you came to the border, you held up the contract, they looked at the contract, saw it was for with another American citizen, and they said, oh, yeah, go in, can't stop, can't interfere with the power of contract. But now the only way you get in is through the IMS because you don't have the power to contract because you've all become professional contractors in other words federal contractors you're, always, you're all subordinate that's why you have the title of capital C contractor when they ask you what your occupation is occupy is a use that they want to know what is your use your use and you give them I am a contractor capital C contractor. That has nothing to do with your natural liberties. You've surrendered already your natural liberties because you have made a social contract. You say, I never made a social contract. Did you go to public school? You have a social security number? Can you just throw those things out the window? Well, you can try, but I don't advise it. I advise you to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Stop walking the plank. Start walking in the ways of Christ. Be faithful with the unrighteous mammon. Pay your tally of bricks. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Start coming together and forming homeschooling groups for everybody in your congregation so nobody has to send their kids to public school. Link your congregation with a thousand other congregations all across the country who are doing the same and trying to walk in the ways of God. Stop seeking benefits that are only provided by exercising authority over your neighbor. Stop seeking the one-purse system of the Corbin of the Pharisees, because you're caught in the same net. Paul makes it clear, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. And a recompense unto them, what's he talking about? He's quoting david psalm sixty nine twenty two Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. That's it. What's for your welfare comes to you by way of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You cannot do that and seek the kingdom. You cannot, but yet you will need benefits. You will need pure religion from time to time. Some of you will fall on hard times. And all you guys say, well, I don't need anybody. I can take care of myself. Well, I'm sure you could, but that's not kingdom. That's not Christ. And you're going to go off in the wilderness and never be heard of again. Taking care of yourself. And taking care of yourself means bearing witness to the stranger in your midst and helping taking care of him from time to time. So yeah, sure, we could have paid the the, uh, rent for that fellow who only wanted to do jobs that made him happy. But he was just a little bit too happy with having other people give to him the guy i gave you an example of out here who earns his living did not want to take the benefits from the government he didn't understand all the details it just just seemed strange to him he's going to pay his own rent now he could he could have a hard time he could have physical difficulties and not be able to help The question is, is he participating in the Corbin of Christ? Is he contributing weekly to the Corbin of Christ? And the fact is, you're not going to make this transition overnight. Eventually, that's the only alternative you will have. But right now, you can begin to seek the kingdom. And this is what was very important. The timing of Christ was amazing. Because by Nero, they were taking the silver out of the Roman denarii so that they would have runaway inflation and bread would go from a few pennies to hundreds of dollars. And that's where you're headed. They've already done it. Nero's come and gone. Caligula's come and gone. You're almost a Diocletian. And it won't be long. 150 years for them, from the beginning to the end, You're already 50 years into that. And all you people that say, well, I'm old. That's not going to bother me anyway. You don't love Christ. Because you don't love your children and your grandchildren or the children and grandchildren of your neighbors because you're not building the kingdom. You're not building a system of social welfare based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Your churches aren't doing it. If you have any real needs, they send you away. Oh, they do a little token charity. That's good for donations. How much is really going to the needy? How much is pure religion going on in the church today? Taking care of the needy, unspotted by the constitutional order and system of government of the Pax Romana. No other father but my father in heaven. All my prayers are said in church in hope of benefit. Let's go back to that definition again. Social contract, agreement, or covenant. Are you supposed to be making covenants with these people who don't believe in faith, open charity? Who don't believe in natural liberties? Are you supposed to be making covenants with them or not? Is that the Ten Commandments or not? You think Christ said, oh, you get to make covenants now with unbelievers? Paul says you don't. What agreements do you have with these unbelievers? who don't believe in faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. This covenant is the method by which men are said to have abandoned the state of nature. What's the state of nature? Nature's God, the state in which God made you. What does the word righteousness mean? It means the state in which you ought to be. To form a society which they now live. Which you now live. Repent. Turn around. Form the society based on the righteousness of God. This was the message of Paul. This was the message of Christ. This was the message of Moses and Abraham. So if you're Jew or Muslim, you should be doing this. And if you really do this, you will know Christ. This definition assumes that men, at first, lived in a state of anarchy. And, of course, it's true. They didn't live in a state of chaos until they started exercising authority one over the other. Like Cain and Nimrod and his Tower of Babel. There was society. But it was a society. The church is defined as a society. But it's a different form of government. It's not no government. It's a different form of government where the ministers are titular and name only. They have no authority over you. They cannot compel or coerce. In any form of organized coercion, the individual, by the group, it's not a democracy. It's not an indirect democracy. By the social contract, men had surrendered their natural liberties, their natural right to choose, their higher liberties, their higher power, their original right to choose, which Paul says, let every man remain subject to the higher power, their higher right to choose, the higher liberty. Because all liberty is of God, given to you by the God of nature, the Creator. All liberty is of God. There is no liberty but of God. The state has no right or liberty to rule over you until you sign the social contract. And you are assumed to have a, having signed the social contract if you take the benefits they provide. The tutor. The benefits. And you have done that now. Can you provide a network of homeschooling so that no more children ever have to do that again? You know, there are children of age today who have never had a Social Security number, never been a federal employee, never went to public school. And now they're looking for work. They want to live and work in America. And they don't need a number, but they need the support of people who are seeking and building a network of believers. True believers are actually doing what Christ said, doers of the word, not hearers only. That's where you should be. And if you do that for others, for those children who are now men and women, if you build that network of faith for them, Your natural liberties will return, maybe even before you die. And you will enjoy the order and safety of the kingdom of God instead of the chaos of the organized state because that's what it will bring. All towers of Babylon bring chaos and confusion. You need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to go the other way. So I advise everybody to join the living network. That doesn't mean just joining an email group. Yes. Get on the email group. Uh go to a, even a public library if you want. Make contact. But actually make physical contact with a contact minister, volunteer to be one. Like I said, we're having a meeting tomorrow trying to get guys to understand the kingdom. And the righteousness of God, which isn't self-righteousness, self-proclamation. It's actually just doing. Just do it. Just be it. Actually come caring about others, not your eschatology, others, people, living people, with the breath of life in them. And don't take their breath away. Breathe more life into them. Rebuke them when they stray. Show them their error. If you get a hold of a contact minister and he doesn't do the job, get another one. If you try to contact him and he doesn't respond, get a hold of another one and let him know, well, I got him back, this old, but he never wrote me back, he never called me back, he never answered the phone. Well, he's no good as a contact minister. You know, we get we have to we wire a dump truck here. We're not going to just splice the old wires, cracked, brittle, making poor connections. We're going to put in new wires. We're going to take out the old wires and put in new ones. And then we're going to wire those wires together so that they don't get caught on everything and cracked and broken. We're going to cut out the old. We're not going to put new wine and old wine skins that are cracked and deteriorating. We're going to start anew. And if you start anew, well, sign on. But if you're going to try to do it the old way, follow the ways of the Pharisees, imposing rules and and dogmas and belief systems, instead of the simplicity of the gospel... How many times does it say it in the Bible? Leviticus nineteen eighteen, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. How about in the New Testament? Matthew five forty three, ye have heard that it hath been said that thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but he goes on to say he wants you to even love your neighbor as yourself. Go on into the epistles, Romans thirteen nine. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself did Paul do away with the law? Somebody's misunderstood what Paul was saying when he was talking about handwritten ordinances. He just listed the Ten Commandments. And he makes a point that it has to be obeyed not only in truth, but in spirit. Which is exactly what Christ said. And exactly the opposite of what the Pharisees said. Oh, they say just obey the form. Read our and, and listen to our audios on on Paul, and you'll get a better picture. James, if ye fulfilled the royal law, he's talking royal law, royal nomos, according to the Scripture. What's he talking about? Ten Commandments. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. It's really very simple. The Gospel of the Kingdom is not a complicated thing. it's a very simple and basic thing. We should see these things over and over again thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness who's listing this this is mark seven twenty two you need to be keeping the commandments by policy. Now, you may stumble, but by policy, it should be no question. And that policy includes not coveting. Luke twelve fifteen. Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You can't even covet your own stuff much less your neighbors. On and on, Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, even Peter. And through covetousness, they, with feigned words of patriotism, I added that, <laughs> will make human resources of you and translates as merchandise of you. Same thing. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. You're under judgment, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. So anyway, but the good news is you can repent and return to the ways of the Christ coming together with other people that are actually not fooling themselves about their salvation and actually do believe in Jesus and are seeking to believe in Jesus and becoming stable souls instead of unstable ones by doing the will of the Father, by policy. And you got to start somewhere. Homeschooling is a great place to start. But just coming together and checking on one another to make sure that you your connections are strong and firm and making sure that you are connected with others who are seeking the kingdom. You will find amongst those some that are not really seeking the kingdom. They are fooling themselves and fooling you or trying to. But you will know them by their fruits. They will be doing it. They will be connecting. They will be reaching out. They will be affirming with care and love for one another. That is very important. And so, with that, I'm going to be laying this topic of anarchism, hopefully, the rest. <laughs> And hope that you contact us at uh, org and join the network. And if you have networks of your own, I mean, we're not telling you to leave your churches. You may be the only one who's awake in your church. You may be the only one who is beginning to see the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. We don't want you to abandon all those people. Whatever network you're in, stay a part of that network, but start seeking the kingdom. If you owe your tax, pay your tax. Don't become a thief and a cheat and a liar. Make your yeses yes and your noes no. But know this, the unrighteous mammon will fail. And you need to be seeking righteousness in all that you do. And that's what the network is all about. It gives you the opportunity of seeking Righteousness and helping those unstable souls and practicing thanksgiving and coming together for the purposes of serving one another. Not because you have needs, but because you need to help others who have true needs. This is the ways of the kingdom. This is the ways of righteousness. This is the way of Christ. And it's your choice. Follow that way or go some other way. Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you.